Well, we'll introduce ourselves real quick. So, my name is Jonas. I'm a sophomore at USD. Um, I'm a junior. I'm Alex. I'm graduating. I'm a senior, and my name is Alyssa. Hey, well, congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate and that. And if you'd just like to introduce yourself and kind of what you're... Okay. Um, my name is Mario Aguilar. Um, PhD. <laughs> um, what else do you want to know? Kind of your involvement with NASA. Oh, kind of? well, I'm the general or the regional group leader of the Aztec dance tradition. And I started dancing when I was 19, back in 74, now I'm 68. So it's been a long time. And um, yeah, I mean, that's the short end of it. But, uh, Why did you start dancing? Why? Well, because um, <coughs> my parents instilled in me uh, a pride in my culture and my language and my history. I was born in Mexico City, and we got we came over here when I was a year and a half old, and I've been living here since. And uh, so I did ballet folklorico before I did dance azteca, and I played Mexican music, and. Um, I know when I first saw it, it just struck me as a, a, a deep connection to my roots. And even though I'm 2,000 miles away from Mexico City, um, the danza came here, and so I decided to learn and then teach it. So that's pretty much a reason for it. Very cool. I have a quick question about, uh, please correct me if it's the wrong term, but would you call it like a regalia or like what, what is it called, the dance? Well, that's a good question. We call it uh, in Spanish uh, uh, uniforme, uniform, mm. because we are, uh, uh, histor historically we are organized as an, as an army because we actually did fight against the Spanish and then during the 1920s when the Mexican government closed all the Catholic churches, we fought against the Mexican government. So mm. we did the war actually armies out there fighting for our right to do our pre-Columbian traditions. So that's uniforme. The other one is vestuario, vestment, because these are uh, spiritual traditions. And so, uh, you know, people say, oh, I love your costumes. You know, it's like, no, because if you look in the dictionary, a costume is a disguise. And when we put on our uniform, we're not trying to pretend like we're anything but who we are. So we use vestment, we use uniform. Uh, in Spanish they use traje, which is like a suit, or uh, a new word that's popped up, which I don't like, I can't even remember what it is. Uh, it has something to do with like a three-piece suit outfit kind of thing, and to me that doesn't sound right. Because it just makes it uh, another piece of clothing you have, whereas a vestment or a uniform means there's something special about it. Well, thank you for letting us know the history. I didn't know that, so that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Do you want to start with the questions, Jonas? Uh, yeah, well, you can kind of morph it. So, first question, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself that you already kind of have. So, mm -hmm. tell us a bit about your um, early involvement with uh, dance and stuff. Sure. Um, <coughs> when um, <coughs> my parents came here, they, um, you know, they, um, wanted us, of course, to have a better life, you know, the great American dream. But uh, my dad only had a second grade education, so he could never really get a job that was up to his level. And so he worked as a 
dishwasher, uh, dishwasher, uh, um, storeroom clerk, uh, um, you know, mowing people's yards. I go out with him, and so for them, it was very important for us to get an education and to have a better life than they did. And so I started going to San Diego State. I was the first one in my whole family of generations to go to college. And there I joined Mecha, and that was a, an important place to feel uh, like you have a, um, a place, you know, because in the U.S., because of our skin and our language and our food, we're not seen as being American. And so all they have to do is say, oh, shut up, you went back. And you could have all the billions in the world, and they just put you down. When you go to Mexico, they look at you as, oh, you're a gringo, you're a gavacho, because you don't speak Spanish, and you don't know Mexican culture, so you don't belong with everything. And so as Chicanos, we are in a spot where we don't belong here, we don't belong there. And so we've had to create our own space where we belong, and so places like Mecha and Chicana Chicano Studies are places where you can walk in and instantly you know you're in your own place. Because where else can you speak Spanglish fluently, back and forth, back and forth, no one will look at you and say, I don't understand, or why do you have to talk like that? Or why don't you learn how to speak good English or good Spanish? Uh, and my son's a linguist, teaches at San Diego State, he's a PhD in linguistics, and all my friends who are linguists say, um, if, if you can understand my language or my dialect, then there's nothing wrong with it. Like uh, in the 80s, there was that big old um, stupid thing about black English. Uh, I forgot what they called it. Um, well, anyway, they you know, they wanted to outlaw it in schools because it wasn't correct. And, and it's like, if people would understand that it, it's correct, you know? It's just like uh, Spanishing, uh, Spanish Spanish compared to Mexican Spanish, Colombian, Puerto Rican, um, Ecuadorian, they're all different. It's like American English. Uh, if I go to, let's say, uh, Georgia or I go to New England, People are going to say, oh, you have a, an accent. Say, well, yeah, it's a California accent, mm -hmm. which is the one that seems to be the approved one on television. Everybody has a California accent because that's the official American accent. Um, but if you're from Iowa, then you sound weird. Or if you're from, you know, Texas, you sound weird. If you're from Vermont, you sound weird because it's not the official language. So for us, as Chicanos, we, um, we're always looking for something that will make us valid, you know, so that uh, people won't judge you by how much you've assimilated um, as opposed to how much you know. You know it's like who you are, excuse me, not what you speak um, or what you look like. And so in the early 70s, we still had the farm worker uh, grade boycott. We had uh, a lot of things going on. We had the 1969 uh, moratorium that was marching against the Vietnam War and then police attacked and killed all kinds of people in LA. And of course, the most famous one was Ruben Salazar, which was a, a newspaper writer. And they just killed him. He was just standing inside a bar writing down notes of what he took and they threw a 
a smoke bomb in there and it hit him and it killed him. And so all of that um, just reinforced people's anger and, and frustration. So when the danza came, it was, uh, it came kind of like at the perfect time because people were saying, I'm not Hispanic because I don't come from Spain. And quite frankly, I don't speak Spanish. And I'm not Latino because I don't speak Latin and I don't come from Rome. How can I be Latin if I come from Mexico or Peru? And so the concept of being Chicano uh, originally came from my Mexican roots. Um, but over the course of 55 years or more, 60 years, as we've developed and, and become part of the world and not just Southern California, we, re we realized that the thing that makes us unique is our pride in our indigenous roots. So you can be Puerto Rican, you can be Colombian, you can be Mexican, uh, you can be anything. But as long as you're proud of your indigenous roots and you're politically aware, you're a Chicano. And so this whole thing about Mecha changing their name to, uh, I don't know, they changed the name, took out Chicano, took out Aslan at UCLA and they got really dogged for it because it was like, you don't hear the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People saying, oh, we got to get rid of colored people because that's passe. It's mm -hmm. part of the history, you know? And so uh, as Chicanos, we, we realize it's, it's not uh, where you're, if you come from Durango or Guatemala, it's what you do here that makes you a Chicano. So it's your indigenous roots. It's you have a political... Uh, ideology uh, for some people being uh, Mexican is like well I celebrated mother Mexican Mother's Day a couple of days ago so mm. I must be Mexican but I'm gonna celebrate American Mother's Day too because we live here so it's not that doesn't make you anything it's just I could celebrate St. Patrick's Day that doesn't make me Irish you know so uh, for us it was the beginning of an understanding of our indigenous roots, our, we eat indigenous food every day, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Taco Tuesday is, is out there is like, that's crazy. Um, and salsa has overtaken ketchup as the number one condiment in the U.S. So that's really weird, you know. So all of these things just kind of tell us that it's an ongoing process and contrary to what um, the Trump MAGA people want, it's never going to go back to Leave it to Beaver or, you know, like, um, what's that guy's name, uh, Andy Griffith Show, it's never <laughs> going to be like that. So that was the process that a lot of us went through in the 70s. And people said, well, it's too bad that Chicano's dead. It's like, why is Chicano dead? Well, because nobody claims to be Chicano. There's a lot of people that still do, and, and then a lot of young people your age that are looking at it and saying, well, wait a minute, why am I buying this Latinx thing where it has nothing to do with me? It's that the only reason there's Latinx is the same reason Hispanic came in with uh, Richard Nixon. Because they said, look, we're trying to sell Coca-Cola and cars and toilet paper, but the people in Puerto Rico don't like us calling them Mexican, and the people in Mexico don't like being called Puerto Rican, and the Dominicans hate all of them. 
And they <laughs> said, well, let's use Hispanic. It's all them. They're all the same. Uh, but we're not, you know. So Hispanic came in out of that, out of one group you can sell things to. White people, you can sell white things. Black people, you can sell black people. The Hispanic, oh my God. You know, like today, uh, I was listening to a commercial. It was about, um, actually, no, it was about three weeks ago. Uh, about Cinco de Mayo, they're having a big Budweiser sale. Mm -hmm. Cinco de Mayo, I mean, that's all it's about, about selling booze especially. But they were playing salsa music. And it's like, if you're trying to hit the Mexican community, salsa music is not gonna make it. But uh, it's all the same, right? Uh, and, and so that's part of why it's important because it's not all the same. And I would not want uh, a Puerto Rican person to have to live like if they pretend he's Mexican and deny their culture, just like I wouldn't want to pretend like I'm Dominican or Puerto Rican or Venezuelan, and I'm not. You know, so that's all so complicated, but it's part of the reality that we live in. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for that. Um, the next question is, what story do you hope to tell after you created your pivot? Well. <coughs> The Danza came to the United States in 1973 and 74 with two Danza elders, and they're on the pillar. Uh, so it's been, it'll be 50 years almost soon. Um, but in the past 20 years, there's been a big, gigantic explosion of Aztec dance groups because there are a lot of immigrants undocumented who can't go back to Mexico, and so they can't go back to the religious ceremonies that they went to on a yearly basis their their hometown patron saint they have a little party fireworks and stuff and so they wanted to uh, to do it here also uh, but it's all very much tied to the catholic church the church tells them when they can dance when they can't when they can use a drum when they can't and we as chicanos because our dance grew out of a political necessity uh, we've never been stuck with a religious person telling us, well, you have to dance here, you can't dance here, and all that. So <clears throat> a lot of dance groups that have started in the past 20 years or so don't know anything about how Danza got here and why it exploded out of nowhere. And so the pillar was to tell them, look, before you came, we would go to churches and they would kick us out. They'd say, you guys are naked in the house of Jesus. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. And then the Guadalupana ladies would say, well, come and dance over here. They won't see you. And we would dance. And oh, my God, you're beautiful. You're like the, you're like the dancers at the Villa. And I said, yeah, what's the difference? And so over the past 40 years, we've conquered schools, churches, Indian reservations, parks, all those places. Now, oh, the Aztecs, the Aztecs, we love them. And so these new groups come in, and they think that it's been like that all fraternity. And we tell them, no, it hasn't been. We've had to fight for that. That's part of our identity that we've had to fight for. You guys come in, and you think, oh, well, they love us. But they didn't love us 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know? And there's some places that they still don't love us. So the pillar was to show them this is what happened from the year 1973. 1985 when our maestro died. He passed away in 1985 and then for about five years everything was crazy because 
you know, he kind of held everything together. And then when he passed away, then everybody went all over the place. Um, and so that's what the focus of the pillar was. This is what we did during that time so that you can now come and dance at any elementary school or any rec center or whatever you want. But more importantly, this is what we did at Chicano Park because people um, in the early days would see us dancing and they'd say, oh look, at, uh, Apaches. Like, no, we're not <laughs> Apaches. Matachin, no, we're not Matachin. We don't know what to say, you know. It's, we say, we're Aztec. And Twenty years later, we're still Aztec, mm. even though now we know we're not Aztec at all. Is that was a name that the government gave to the dances in the '40s when uh, Lázaro Cárdenas uh, expropriated all the oil fields and all the oil from Shell and Texaco and all the world oil companies, and so they boycotted Mexico. Mexico was. Uh, couldn't buy anything from anywhere else because they were boycotting it. And so, you know, people were having hard times. And so Cardenas used the ideology and the imagery of the famous Aztec Empire, the great warrior empire. And so the, uh, they made movies about Aztecs and they made all kinds of stuff. You know, you see the calendars, I don't know if they still make them, but in the tortillerias, they had the calendar of the guy carrying the princess and you know, all this other crap. But, uh, hmm. so the name Aztec stuck, but, but really these dances are from the Chichimeca people, which are the people from Guanajuato, Querétaro, people that were never conquered by the Aztecs. They were just too wild and too dangerous. It was only when the Spanish came with steel guns and steel swords and smallpox and horses that they finally were able to conquer the savages. Chichimeca means the dog people. They said we were dogs mm. because we didn't wear gold or jewelry or anything. Um, so these dancers there are Chichimeca, but it, it goes back to uh, the reason we're reviving that name is that we are the dog people of the U.S. Because no matter how much money you have, no matter what kind of car you have, once again, people will say, oh, you know, you're just a wetback, you're just a beaner. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you this joke I heard about these two wetbacks. Ah, don't worry, it's, it's nothing against you. you know? it's like people still do that every day. Um, so the pillar then was to show the history of how uh, the Lanza got here and how it became a part of Chicano Park where people realize it's not folkloric, it's not Zumba, it's not aerobics. It's a ritual, it's a spiritual prayer that we're doing. But instead of kneeling and praying, we're dancing in the prayer. And to the point where this year, well, last year, we did a ceremony for the new fire, uh, which was the old uh, Mesoamerican calendar every 52 years the century ended and they put out all the fires in the land and then they would start a new fire and the runners would carry it to all four corners. And so we did one because we said this is the 52nd year of Chicano Park when it was founded and this is the, we're, we're going to uh, ritually, spiritually, whatever, count the time as Chicanos from when Chicano Park was founded in 1970. And 
Chicana, Chicano, Chicano Studies at San Diego State were founded in 1970. Centro Cultural was founded in 1970. So 1970 was a very important uh, year in San Diego. And so we said this is the perfect time for the calendar to begin. I mean, look at our uh, Gregorian calendar we have. When does it start? Well, technically it starts when Jesus was born, although we know it actually starts four years too soon. But oh, well, it's plus or minus four years. <laughs> um, and so that's why <coughs> Chicano Park, all of a sudden everybody is joining the bandwagon where we've always said Chicano Park is sacred land because so many people have fought for it, so many have died there. Uh, and there's been so many dance ceremonies there that it's like a pyramid or a church. It's, it's sacred because of the things you do there. And so the, the pillar talks about that and talks about the generations. You know, there's, a, there's several pictures where my son, my grandson, my daughter and I are painting and sticking pictures up there. And then you see them when they were little tiny, tiny kids raising the flag for Chicano Park, and then over here dancing in, in New Mexico, and over here my wife dragging him around. Um, I don't know if we put that picture in there after all or not, but anyway, uh, it just shows them that uh, it's generational. It's no longer like, well, I learned, and it's like, I learned, but from my grandfather. And like, I can't say that, but my grandson can. And the young kids his age can say that now because it's true, but not for our generation. I have a quick question of like surrounding this, but what is the most important thing we should know about like your specific relationship with Chicano Park? Uh, well, I've been involved with Chicano Park since 1973, uh, before the Kill School was there. Uh, I was 19, and so I didn't know anything. <laughs> and, and Guillermo Aranda, one of the painters of the murals, said, you want to paint? Yeah, so we climbed up the mm -hmm. huge, um, whatever you call those things, the scaffold, and I helped paint these spirit people coming in, and then I helped paint some islands on another pillar. So I was all excited about uh, the, the, the interaction between all the artists, and there was people playing music, and Malefico Rico was practicing on the, not the kiosk, but the stage that the city had put up. And it was like, um, to me, it was what I, I imagined what the 1967 Summer of Love in San Francisco was like. You know, everything was cosmic. Everybody was doing their thing. Uh, and then after that, I played with uh, several music groups at the park, Chicano Park Day, and then, of course, uh, doing da danza. So for me, it's like, um, it truly is a sacred place where you go back to um, and you offer your uh, sacrifice um, because trust me, whether you dance with or without huaraches, your feet end up with blisters <laughs> and cuts because we dance like three, four, five hours. Um, and so it's a very uh, gratifying place to see young community families coming up and you see these little tiny kids running around and mm. you think I remember when my son and daughter were like that now my son's 42 my daughter's 38 and my grandson's 13 you know and it's like you see that um, cycle and you know that no matter what happens to you it's going to continue and I feel that uh, all the years I've uh, 
invested in teaching and learning and teaching and teaching and teaching and learning and teaching and teaching uh, are going to be there no matter what because enough people have learned so that if these five forget, these three will remember and it'll grow again. So that's the fun part, is to know that you're part of that cycle. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, I, I actually kind of want to know, what's your, how did you like this, you know, 53, you know, started a new plan kind of here. How, how was this year's come back to being in person? Uh, to being in person, well, it was amazing because uh, we had guesstimates from, um, the low end was ridiculous, four or five thousand. I've been there when five thousand people have been there, and it wasn't like that. It was more like ten to twelve thousand people. Because at one point, as I was, after we finished dancing, I went to my car to put my stuff away, and I was wobbling back down because my leg hurt. <laughs> and I looked down the street where La Central is, mm -hmm. And it looked like something out of Beijing or out of downtown New York or downtown Chicago. Just a mass of people walking that way and this way and booths and stuff going on. I had never seen that many people in Logan Heights. It was just amazing. And I know that there were some drunk, stupid idiots that were fighting mm -hmm. and one guy got stabbed. Mm -hmm. But at least we didn't have riots like we did in 75. And mm -hmm. We didn't have massive gang fights like we did in some years. So on the whole, it was really exciting to see that and to, and to know that there's, there's one thing we always say in the Ranza, nothing is 100% evil, nothing is 100% good. So uh, on the, on, for the most part, Gentrification is not good because it kicks the poor people out and the people with money come in and redo their houses and it all looks great and blah, blah, blah. The positive is that now we have a mix of people. So we'll be in down, down at Chicago Park practicing and we'll see these three blonde-haired, blue-eyed people with their little dogs and their little bag for the poop. And we laugh with them. You never see any Mexicans walking around picking up dog poop. <laughs> bougie people do, you know, but that's okay. I mean, look, and now you do see Mexican people picking up the toilet. Like, what, what took so long? We should have been picking this up for decades. <laughs> but the good thing is that now you see this, this blend of people. And so for many decades, you know, you tell somebody, hey, you're going to Chicano Park. Oh, my God, no, it's too dangerous. What? Oh, yeah, it's dangerous. So, uh, well, Park is dangerous. Downtown San Diego is dangerous. Mission Beach is dangerous. You know, it just depends, you know. So this year's Chicano Park, I was really happy with the mix of ethnicities. There was whites, there was blacks, there was Asians, of course, Mexicans and Chicanos and everybody in between. And that's what um, it should be like. It should be that people are welcome, not because of the color of the skin or the language they speak, but the interest they have in knowing about other people and learning about the history, the murals, all that. You know, it's, it's more important than everybody was brown. Well, that'd be kind of boring, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, and then following that, um, what are some of the most important struggles your organization has faced over the years? The most important one <coughs> is our lack of funding. We are a community-based organization. Uh, we have a lot of teachers, we have a lot of counselors, 
but we also have a lot of working class people and we have people who are high school dropouts um, and so the biggest um, problem we have is getting funding to do what we want to do um, because people will say oh well you know we have grants okay well how do we apply well you just need to have one-on-one uh, -on -one cash match so if you want ten thousand you're gonna have ten thousand well most of our money comes from performances and you know we go to a church and usually we don't charge churches uh, we go to schools, it's an elementary school, 200, a middle school, 300, high school, 500, colleges, 700 to 2,000, depending on the college and what it's for. So it's really hard to get matching money. So that in itself is the big, um, the big roadblock that, you know, there are some grants that are no match. But the majority of the ones with the big cash, they are. You know. And then, um, you know, some of the grants, like I was looking at uh, National Endowment for the Arts, and you got to be on these three government um, websites that you exist, right? So one is the, uh, it's called SAM, uh, System Acquisition Management. So you're in the program. So then you got to do all these things to get in there. Then you have to get into the National Demo of the Arts. Then you have to get into these other. So it's all of these trials and tribulations. And, not, you know, because I've worked in education and as a faculty and as an administrator, I can sometimes slowly, but I can decipher it. But if you're not, if you're just a person like housewife or a construction guy, it's, it's like, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest problem is that uh, it's hard for us to get funding. And yet I look at the, for example, we got some money from the California Arts Council last year. We got $5,000 for COVID, right? Great, because once COVID came, we couldn't perform at schools anymore. And you don't perform, you don't get paid. So they had a, uh, a grant and no match. Yay, thank you. But then I saw who got grants, and there's like the San Diego Symphony, 250,000, mm -hmm. San Diego Opera, 125,000, this program, 205,000. And then all the little things like the African American Theater Group, 2,000. We actually got a lot more than anybody else, 5,000. But you look at all the community based uh, organizations, and you can't survive with a $5,000 grant, you know? And it's like they tell you, how many employees do you have? <laughs> Like zero. Well, you said you're the executive director. Well, that's my title, but I'm actually a consultant. When we get grants, I get paid. When we don't get grants, I am still volunteering. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest one: is the uh, yeah, the funding. The, you know, to have stable funding over five, ten, fifteen years mm -hmm. would be ideal, but we don't have the time. Now that I'm retired, my wife and I are retired. We have more time. But still, um, you need to be, uh, it's like if you're a cabinet maker, you don't do that once every five years. You do it day after day, so you build up your skills and your, t you know, your finesse and your talent. If you do it every once in a while, you don't know how to answer questions. Mm. I have one more question. Um, 
So many um, people in the Chicano community have suffered racism and trauma in their lives. In what ways might you see your pillar providing a bridge towards healing? Well, I think um, that's a really deep and complex mm -hmm. question because on the one hand, the bottom line is racism. is based on the color of your skin, your religion, your language. Um, all of that, and you can't change that. It's like, oh, I'm going to get blue eyes today, you know. It's like, everybody will like me. Um, and so for us, the way we see, uh, there's a, a, a quote that's been around for 40, 50 years that says, la cultura cura, like, culture cures. And when you come from a, a, a state of essence, a state of being where you are diminished and, and less just by being who you are, it takes a lot to overcome that. And part of that is uh, seeing something that you should be proud of. And so people see, oh my God, the Aztecs. And it's like, the Aztecs are just part of, I mean, there's like 50, 60 different groups in Mexico. Everybody says Aztecs and Mayans, Aztecs and Mayans. That's a, some there's Zapoteca, there's Mixteco, there's Tonaca, there's you know, all kinds of stuff. And most of us, 99.9% .9 of us, are not Aztecs because they disappeared. They mixed into the great population. Now there's Nahuatl speakers, and that's why everybody confuses Nahuatl with Aztec, but the people that speak Nahuatl nowadays hate the Aztecs because of what they did to them 500 years mm -hmm. ago. But they still speak Nahuatl, that's their language. So, um, what I see that danza and, and culture does is you go home and you say, oh, did you know that tamali is an Aztec word, a Nahuatl word? Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it means the fat thing. Oh, tomatl, <laughs> you know, all kinds of words that we use. And then you start realizing, well, you know, that's cool. You know? And then you start realizing that these pyramids you can go visit. You start seeing um, just all kinds of things that, but you, the problem is you have to go out of your way to look for them. Because they're not going to be um, in your high school history class or your middle school history class. I remember in 1968, we went to the Mexican Olympics and uh, I saw the pyramids and everything. And we were at that time studying Egypt and their pyramids. And I went home, to, I went to my school when I came back and said, how come you guys never teach us about the pyramids in Mexico? They're just right down the street, you know? And the, mm -hmm. and the teacher's answer was, well, it's just that they're not as important as the Egyptian pyramids uh, and the Greeks and the um, Mesopotamians, all this stuff. They're not important. And so basically you're saying you're not important because that's your heritage. And it wasn't until the Spanish came that you became important because now you're European. Uh, and that was like part of the beginning of my, oh, this is bullshit. You know? mm -hmm. uh, and that's what um, has to happen is people have to go out of their way to look um, for what they really are, who they really are, where they really come from. Part of the problem is that there's a lot of false prophets and false BS on the internet and some people become reverse racist because it's like, well, you used to call me a beaner, but you're 
a white savage because your people, blah, blah, blah. You know, they said, well, you Aztecs were chopping people's hearts out. Yeah, but at the same time, you people in Europe were killing women for being witches, which they were not witches, they were, you know, they were, yeah, coronavirus, yeah, um, medicine people. But you killed them because they were. That is special. Yeah, you know, they knew how to use herbs and all that. And for the Catholic Church, the men especially, was, oh, you're a devil, you're a bird. You know, so human sacrifices everywhere. Just like cannibalism and all that other stuff. Uh, and so you have to be very careful. You don't become another racist person to balance the white racist person because that, that doesn't help. It just makes more hate. So it's a, it's a process that the Vansa helps because the Vansa has six magic words. The first three is unity, conformity, and conquest. Unity means whether you speak Spanish, you speak English, you speak Nahuatl, I speak Zapotec, we all speak with a drum, you know, so we understand each other, unity. Conformity means that, well, you turn to the left, I turn to the right, you turn four times, I turn eight times, but we all know it's dancing, it's all prayer, and if you dance four times, I'll dance four times next time, so we're connected. And then conquest is when you do things with uh, unity and conformity, people who are out there watching you say, oh man, that's so beautiful. They must work hours doing that. I wonder how you learn. And then before you know it, you start getting one person here, one person there. And then, can I bring my kids? Of course. You know, my two kids want to dance, but my wife wants me to dance with them. I don't want to dance. Well, let's try it. You know? So, unity, conformity, and conquest. And then the other three words are kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Now those words are very difficult to live in our reality because kindness, uh, we're not, if you look at the mass media, everything is anti-kindness. You know, you watch TV shows and people are not very kind to each other, especially when they do uh, ethnic programs like African-American programs or Chicano-Latino programs, the people are mean to each other. Like, uh, I'm going to show you I'm a real man by calling you names or whatever. So kindness is part of what makes the unity strong because we need to be kind to each other. And before we can be kind to each other, we have to be kind to ourselves. And that's really hard sometimes especially when you've been stepped on and grounded to the dirt for generations. Then the next one is uh, um, compassion. Because, uh, you know, when you're a dancer in Mexico, you don't have the luxury we have here of dancing at schools that will pay you and you can use that money to buy feathers or cloth for your uniform. Over there you dance because you're dancing for the Virgin or you're dancing for the ancestors at that pyramid or whatever. And so, if you don't have much money, you don't have much of a uniform. And so, compassion in Mexico means, you know what, I just bought 20 feathers and I'm going to give you each five because you don't have feathers. Because I want you to feel good about yourself. And so, compassion is something very powerful and very uh, uh, life-changing. And then the last one is the most difficult one, the one I have a hard time with, which is forgiveness. 
because um, twice in my life I've met Spanish people and both times they were assholes. <laughs> One was a priest mm. who uh, yelled at me. Here I was defending the Spanish language. All I was saying is just like the Spanish came and stole our languages, now the Anglos are refusing to let us speak Spanish. So I was defending Spanish mm -hmm. and he got upset. You said that we stole your language. You guys were nothing but a bunch of savages and blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. And so it's like, okay, dear God, I'm trying to forgive him. He's a priest? Yeah, he's a priest at St. Anthony's in National City where 99% of the people are Mexican. And the other 1% is Filipino. And both of them got screwed by the Spanish. So that was like, but learning to be uh, forgiving is really difficult. Um, and I've forgiven a couple of people. <laughs> Only 300 more to go. <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, it's, that's what the danza is about. And, and I think that Chicano Park is a good place to teach those uh, virtues because, um, you know, I could put on a three-piece suit and go out there and talk about white racism and about Spanish oppression and about bliss, blah, 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 and there'll be all kinds of people like, ah. But I put on my uniform with my feathers and my regalia, and I say the same thing, and they're like, oh, that is true, you know, I really never thought about that. You know, I was like, so, that it's the same exact message, but just how you deliver it, it's like, oh, it's a cultural message, as opposed to, you damn radicals, you're all alike, you know. So. Haters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That answers really a lot of our questions. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of want to leave it off with, uh, do you have any, you know, dance has so much music associated with it, but do you have any kind of one song or melody that you kind of associate it with? Gosh. Or that would, like you say, represents you or um, the pillar as well? Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> it's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I, no, it's, it's just that there's scores of songs <laughs> being made every day. It's like explosion of young people writing new songs is amazing exciting and then there's the same amount of dances because you want to what people invent dances but you know they're not real they know nobody does that step or use that rhythm but uh, so I have two um, and one of them would be uh, Aguila Blanca the white eagle dance because in the center of the circle is the incense and it's a white smoke coming up and as I say, when we're dancing, we're praying entirely with the body. And at one point, we all do spins, but with our arms out like this, like as if we are flying eagles. And that dance represents the prayers of all the dancers coming together in the center and then going up into heaven where we believe it'll be answered. So that dance, um, I think, was one of the very first dances I learned. Uh, all the little kids, you know, 12 and under, they love that dance. They always, you know, like, can we, okay, you guys are going to lead a dance, but it can't be like you love it like that. Ah, why not? <laughs> okay, all right, never mind. That's the only one they want to do. And then the song, there's a song written in the late 60s called Soy Lanzante, I Am a Dancer. And it talks about, uh, 
the regalia, where we dance, uh, even though my feet are bloody, I'm offering this to the Virgin. And it, it's, a, it's a nice um, overview of what danza is and why we dance. And uh, um, trying to think of words. Um, it's, it's my dance, it's bonanza, or in other words, fruitfulness. Uh, es pudor, pudor is like uh, one of those words that you don't hear very often, but it's not shyness. Modesty, it's modesty, which unfortunately has been lost with a lot of young dancers that they look like they're going to go dance at a strip joint. <laughs> Both male and female, but what can you do? It's hope. It's hope. It's for, uh, um, fecundity. It's uh, hope. It's uh, modesty. You know, so it talks about um, that the danza is um, it's a ritual. It's a ritual, uh, and it is, in the indigenous way, um, it is many layers. That's the thing, that one of the things that a great, uh, I've got his name, one of the great anthropologists said, when you look at Mesoamerican culture, it's like looking and then you, you peel one layer off and, oh, well, I'll get to the bottom, oh. And there's just like all these layers in there. And the dance is the same, it has artistic, value, it has innovation, it has dance, it has, uh, we make our regalia, so it has uh, arts and crafts, for lack of a better term, uh, for music. Um, I dance playing the mandolina, uh, a lot of people dance playing the guitars, some dance with the flutes, and some people don't dance, but they play all these instruments. So it's all of that, um, feather working, uh, uh, it's all of those things that you wouldn't think of, uh, like square dancing, you know, so, you know, yes, square dancing has their uniform, right, the cowboy boots, the jeans, and the cowboy shirt, uh, but it doesn't have prayer, you know, or uh, going to church has prayer, but it doesn't have artistic uh, freedom to make uniforms and designs and all these things that represent who you are. So it's, it has a lot of all of that. Um, it's very multi-level and multi-tasked. Mm -hmm. do, yeah, do you have any questions for us? Any, no, any I, just, I just want to see what you come up with. Yeah. That'd be fun. <laughs> any last thoughts, things you'd like to share with us? Um, well, uh, I guess what I've been thinking of lately is because I've lost several friends who, from that era who've passed away. Uh, uh, and right now, at this, I'm 68, so at this point in my life, I'm looking at the past 43, 44, 49, whatever it is, years. I'm bad at math. <laughs> uh, and so part of me thinks... You know, there was a point in time when I didn't know if Danza was going to live because um, it was just so difficult to get people to be involved. You know, everybody was into the Marxist or um, nationalist craze, uh, and indigeneity wasn't 
seen as something valid. If you were a Chicano and you wanted to be Indian, you ran to the Lakota and did the Sundance, or you went to Shumish, or you went to different places. And they would tell you, why don't you go to Mexico? You guys have Indians down there. You, you look like one of those Indians down there. But Chicanos were afraid to go because they didn't speak Spanish, or they were afraid. Uh, that's not a problem anymore. So I'm very optimistic that we've reached the critical mass where Lanza will never disappear from the United States. It's, I get emails and messages from Alaska, Tennessee, Vermont, Connecticut, uh, Georgia, Idaho, uh, Oregon, and there's groups out there It's like, what? Aztec dancers in Idaho? <laughs> yeah, but wherever Mexican workers go, they take the tradition. And now that people see the danza and it's not something bizarre or people are going to make fun of you, they say, well, I'm going to start my own group. You know? I've got nine kids. We can do a group. You know? um, and so I see that as something positive that um, it's not going to go away anytime soon. And this last two weeks ago, we went to San Francisco where a friend of mine passed away. There was about 300 dancers in that auditorium. They were squished. And I knew maybe 5% of the people who were there. Everybody else was young, your age or younger. And uh, you know, people would come up to me, jefe, maestro, elder, general. And it's like, well, it feels nice to be called those things, but it just reminds me, shit, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then it took four days for my body to, to recuperate, so yeah, I'm definitely old. But um, I think it's here to stay, which is exciting. Thank you so Thank much you. for taking the time You're out of your welcome. day. Thank you for coming by. Thank you so much. Uh, let's press end. All right.